which is a first time for us. So we're going to actually switch over to the sponsor tag here. So we're working with Newsly, and Newsly is an interesting company. Um, they're an audio app for iOS and Android. So they, you pick up web articles about what's trending topics on the web at any given moment, and it reads them to you in a natural human voice. So the first time in history on the net, the web becomes listenable. So you can browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling, start listening. They have podcasts as well, so you can explore trending podcasts for over 40 countries. Our podcast, Family Electric Ghost, is on there now. So you download the Newsly app for free, and you can go to www.newsly.me or use the link in the description. If you use promo code GHOST2021, you receive a one-month free premium subscription. So we got that. Um, done. <laughs> so now we'll switch back to your link. So you see below is the link for Salme Dahlstrom, and you can this will be up through the whole episode. So hopefully everybody can go to that link and check out her work. We're actually going to get it back going. Um, okay. So so let's talk about how you first got into music, like because one of the things we like to ask artists, like why did you choose to get into music? What was like the the reason you felt that you had something to say? Right. Okay. Well, so a little bit of a two-part question, I guess, because I started playing classical piano at age five. And wow. the reason had nothing to do with the love of music. It all had to do with being extremely competitive and mm -hmm. having an older sister. My sister, Linda, is two years older than me, and she was seven at the time. And mom had set her up with piano lessons. And I was like, I want that too. <laughs> Only because she had it. I had no idea what it entailed, but I wanted in. And so that's how it started. I convinced my mom that I was, you know, could, could do it. And then I started playing the piano. And uh, kind of, you know, realized that I liked it. I kept going. And then at 10, 11, picked up an acoustic guitar, which was much more rock and roll, uh, and started writing songs. Um, and at that time, you know, writing came naturally to me. It was like natural progress of playing, writing, but I didn't know if it was good or not. I just knew that I had, like, it was something I did that made my, made me happy, made me, you know, want to play it to other people, so on and so forth. Um, so, um, and then I played in bands after that and, and all of that and, and, uh, I guess to answer the question, I realized that I, I really enjoyed it. It was something, and not only enjoyed it, it was something that I had to do for peace of mind, you know, happiness of soul, stuff like that. Yeah, it seems like when I talk to a lot of artists, it's like the work is like so bubbling up inside them that they have to have an outlet, like whether they're a musician or an actor or, you know. Yeah it just you know painter that there's some kind of thing like the the victorian poets taught it like the muse right or you right yeah it's like energy and somehow artists are cha can channel it and yeah. uh and that's why i felt like like most musicians will say like i don't necessarily do it because i'm trying to be like madonna or i'm trying to be hendrix or i'm trying to be you know robert plant i'm doing it because there's something in, inside me that i want to bring out yeah and i want to do I, <laughs> yeah, and what and when you're a teenager, really, it's like it's all fun and games, right? You're doing it for fun. At least yeah. I did. There, there was no thinking. Oh, could this be a job? I mean, I didn't even know what a job was. I was cool, right? But yeah. part of it was that the reaction you got from your friends, right? When when you picked up a guitar, suddenly you were the center of attention of the party, right? And there were enough people if there were enough people who liked what you did, you got the, you know, uh, the confirmation that, oh, maybe this is something I should keep doing. It feels good and, and you know, I'm able to do things other people are not, you know? So later on, it becomes, at least for me, became a little bit more of the Madonna thing, like, can I pull this off? Can I make it a, a job? Can I, yeah. can I do this on a bigger scale, right? Yeah, I think that's the big thing in music is like, can you take your idea and how much of your idea can you retain as a singer-songwriter? 
right? Yeah. And and still be you, like like grow. I think everybody yeah. like, like get in a band. The first thing you find out is like what works and what doesn't work, right? Yeah. And, and, and who works and who doesn't work? Who who who's actually writing the lion's share yeah. of everything and who's showing up and yeah. who's putting the effort in, and yeah. um, yeah, and then realizing like okay. Like you don't have a producer, then you get a producer, and then you're like, "Wow!" Yeah. <laughs> it's like right, like, like the difference between like, okay, I'm in a garage band, I'm playing in a bar, and now I'm actually in a studio, and there's a recording engineer telling me, "No, you need to use the metronome." <laughs> right. You need to use the click track. Please, please <laughs> sing in key. Yeah. Stuff like that. Key. Yeah. What key are no, you in? Do you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first times you're in the studio, just hearing yourself back is a huge experience. Sometimes not a pleasant one for everybody involved, right? Yeah. But you learn from it. And the reason I started producing myself was actually, you know, I did like what everybody else did. I wrote, I was always the one who wrote the songs, who had the concept, who was the lead singer, the, the force mm -hmm. in, in the bands I was in. Uh, but we needed, I didn't produce at the time, right? So we needed a producer. And the producers, as great as some of them were, they had their vision. As soon as you bring somebody else in, they're going to add to what you're doing, but bring their own flavor, right? Yeah. Or in some cases, just fit you into what their sound is. Yeah. And that didn't work for me. And I don't want to take away any credit from those guys who produced. They were great. But yeah, I yeah. had... You have uh, a vision. I had a vision in my head, and that's why I started producing because I was like, nah, it needs to be this vision. Yeah. Well, I and think, it was a lot, you know. Yeah, I think if you think about the great producers, you got like Brian Eno and, uh, you know, Todd Rundgren and all these great, it, they, they have a vision, right? And either yeah. you agree with that or you don't. You know, there's famous stories about how the band didn't really like how Todd Rundgren was working with them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but because he has a vision of how he does things and he's really good yeah. within that 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 whole genre. Yeah. It's like the band is the band. Yeah. <laughs> and they can kind of produce themselves. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, it depends, right? I mean, I really admire Madonna. Look at how many different songwriters, producers, she everything works. she yeah. and she works and she's able to make top notch magic with all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I envy that a lot, you know, because that's, I'm not able to do that. I have my vision. I had to learn to produce. I mean, it's different roads you, you take, but I, I admire somebody who's able to be such a chameleon and just fit in and still be her, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in that environment, not just be like, oh, you know, I'm working with this guy and I'm going to sound like that. No, it's Madonna working with that guy. And yeah, that yeah. is very special. I think that's really cool because you think about like Madonna, Lady Gaga, David Bowie, like David Bowie was the like original chameleon. He, he could be yeah. like, you know, oh, he could yeah. be a thin white Duke. He could be a lad insane. He could be, uh, you know, he's going to be, you know, aspires for Mars, you know, give Ziggy. And, yeah. and he would work with different people and he'd just become, I mean, he'd one yeah. day he's, he's singing with Luther Vandross, right? Mm -hmm. And then he's doing like yeah. glam rock. Or yeah. he's doing he could do he could kind of chameleon into anything he's working with like german producers with brian eno doing all yeah. this really futuristic new wave before new wave yeah um, and it was still bowie right yeah that's, yeah he's able to retain the, the bowie edge but yeah. change and i think that that is really core you know when you start getting really into it but i think yeah a lot of times singer songwriters today within the indie alternative world um or self-production i think it is like your vision and I think that you're, yeah. if, if you if you're dedicated to trying to get it to be what it needs to be to get out there, um, yeah. I always appreciated the sound of independent musicians. Like you know, I loved REM. I loved college radio. I was like a DJ. Okay. I was, nice. I was, you know, I'm a 54, so I was yeah. in the heart of like the new age era, new wave era. I you know, I was in college like spinning REM and Who's Could Do and oh, the nice. and camper van yeah. beethoven like everybody that was like oh that i like all this stuff that nobody's playing <laughs> right <laughs> and i've kind of yeah. kind of still gravitated to that kind of vision like the people i interview are yeah. people like myself that like, i want to t find people who are not totally in the mainstream and are doing really interesting work and i think that and needs to shine the light on that 
And I appreciate that. Because I think that's, that's, I mean, it's boring to, to hear the same top 10 producers doing the same thing to everything. And I, not that it's yeah. not danceable or not, yeah. you know, the hip thing to listen to, but I probably listen to the bottom 500, bottom 200 of the chart because I think that's where cool stuff is going on. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I love the, the super pop top 10 stuff, but there's definitely more variety and and new discoveries to be made in other areas right, yeah. of the music industry. Yeah, that's why I think it's just important to, to try to shine the light. So so you realized you had a talent, you got into production, you were writing your own songs in the band. So like, what? who are your influences and reference points if we were going to point out like other musicians? And some people don't really like to get into this, but like how far sure. do you want to go with who your influences, reference points are? Uh, so this is probably, may come as a surprise to some people who, you know, to, to, to my fans, but so my biggest references and influences are 80s hair metal and the big beat movement. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. But if you listen to my music, I think if I explain it, you, you hopefully you'll you hear it. The, the melodic stuff, like mm -hmm. it's the melodies of the 80s yeah. um, metal I stuff. Do. That's also coming from Sweden where, you know, everything's about melody, ABBA, rock set. Yeah, everything yeah. is melodies and hooks and stuff. The, the 80s rock was super melodic, great pop songs, right? Dr yeah. But what I also loved about them, dressed up in the biggest sounds that you could play in stadiums and reach the guy, you know, up in the nosebleed section, right? There yeah. were songs that were made to play for hundreds of thousands of people. And I love that bombastic glam part of, of it combined mm -hmm. with the melody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think what's great about the 80s was like it is kind of, hook oriented but yeah. then it's taken like this it's taken the progressive rock that like genesis and yes and all those guys did and, yeah. and narrowing it down into a more right. digestible so you're using the synthesizers that genesis and yes and pink floyd yeah. were using but you're putting right. in more digestible melodies and loops that are kicking that people yeah find it's the same thing like prince did with craft work he took craft work german sounds and it yeah. made them work in three minute, four minute pop songs. Right. You know, because he had the melody, right? And he had yeah. all the hooks and, and it was a real, he made a real pop song out of it. Yeah. And that's, so I fell in love with the big beat movement because it, it's also very big, right? Yeah, but yeah. not full songs, but what I loved about it, especially Fatboy Slim, Chemical Brothers, The Prodigy, is the way they, as producers, I guess, treated the music. You know, mm -hmm. cut it up, put it through whatever machine you have, see what comes out. More and, experimental. Yeah. yeah. And, and genre hop, you know, just beg, borrow, steal from wherever, country music. I'll put it in there, see what happens, right? So when I was putting my sound together, you know, and all that, I, I remember having this conversation with my manager and he was like, what, what are you doing? Like, what what is the sound? Explain it to me. And I was like... I want to get the energy of the big beat movement and I want to be able to treat my music that way, but with real pop songs, like full on, like verse, pre-chorus, chorus, yeah. that kind of song. Right. I, yeah, I yeah. want to get that in there instead of you just the, the one hook. Yeah, that's the problem with some, some music today is so built on the grid, right? If you're yeah. on a DAW, it's so tied to the grid that yeah. they forget about the mechanics or like the art of a song craft. Right. Yeah. If you think about like Motown, like songs from like the Temptations and the Four Tops, it's like there's a structure. You think about the yeah. Beatles, there's a structure. You even get yeah. the Pink Floyd, there's a structure, right? And yeah. then you get to the age of the dawn, people start to just stick to, you know, not. I think what they do is they lose the idea. Well, with, where's the break? <laughs> where's the change yeah. in the tempo? You know, if you go back and look at a Carpenter song, it would yeah. change tempo. It would change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean it was yeah. it was using progressive elements like like yes yeah. will go and do something in one time signature and then switch and change to a different key. Really right. good pop music like the Beatles Beatles type pop music or Todd Rundgren it does that. Yeah, it's it, it changes and that gives it character. So there there's these like moments in the song where it's like really important that 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 it shifts. But yeah. if you just keep a driving beat, 
without with no shifts, you know, then it yeah. becomes a little monotonous. And I understand it's kicking, but yeah. but it doesn't really give you the, the diversity of what you could do. Um, yeah. And so I wanted, you're, you're absolutely right. I wanted to marry the two. I wanted the best of both of those word, word, worlds. I wanted to have that kicking, driving thing, but at the same time have all the, um, yeah, the, the pop stuff of 60s, 70s, 80s, like mm-hmm. a real pop song with the melodies and with the, with the you know, the bridge coming in and, and yeah. all of that, right? Yeah, having and, a bridge uh, is real important. You don't really hear bridges as much. <laughs> I love bridges. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm really it's, into like I I just love it when you get like a band that does that. I mean, I was listening to a band uh, called Tennis that kind of emulates the Carpenters, and they had this pop song and it had a time signature shift. It had the drum beat uh, totally shifts to a totally different drum beat in the middle nice. of the song, and then sw- it goes slower, goes faster, speeds up. And I'm I'm a big funk guy and I'm a big progressive rock guy. So if I would okay. listen to like ten minute songs from like Peter Gabriel Genesis, and oh wow, know, okay, it does that. You know, yes, songs yes. do that. Yes, they go like ten minutes. That's why they they kind of like little mini operas. But um, and I like the Who, you know, like Tommy. So that's like nice. that. So you hear, I'm gonna go there. That's where I like to go. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's hard today when people only want to hear two minutes. Then you yeah. can't. But there are ways to even in two minutes do that. You know. There yeah. Are some, people that can do that so so it's like even if you do two minutes you could be more innovative you don't have to have the thing just going the 808 doing the same kick all through the whole thing you right. could, you could do something else but um I well think, you gave uh, me something you <laughs> gave me something to think about there i i have not played around with tempo a lot but now i'm gonna think about it yeah i just think it's fantastic when you go back and you listen to some of the classic 60s 70s stuff is you do you do the time signature changes are kind of big parts of the songs um yeah. and I really really dig it and I always kind of point it out as a producer to other people when I'm working with them it's like nice. you know if you did that it actually right. would draw attention and to kind of change the structure of what you're doing you know but yeah it's, it's it's not easy to think that way because it's kind of like it's easier to just throw it on the grid <laughs> but um, sure. but um yeah so I was wondering so what would you call um, I think you did re- refer to what your writing style is, but if somebody was going to pin you in and say, well, how are we going to pitch this? What is your genre? What do, who are we sending this to? What's your writing style and your genre? You would say, is it, you're like multi-genre. I, I go, no. Well, I have been labeled as electronic music and I'm fine with that. Probably mm. alternative in the electronic music. Uh, is there more to it? Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, that's I think like, it, sometimes when you get put into that, what I've kind of, I had a problem is like the, the some people think electronic music is like EDM only. Yeah. And they, and they forget, like when I say electronic music, I'm talking about like Pink Floyd and Yes and Genesis and like Quadrophenia and Barbara O'Reilly. I'm kind of, you know, Keith Emerson. And so they, they forget yeah. about that because that yeah. that's like the beginning. You know, like I'm, I'm a heavy mode guy. I'm an analog synth modular synth nice. guy. And so, like, that's what I grew up on, you know, Stevie Wonder, yeah. like Saturn, you know, like, <laughs> like really heavy analog synthesizers and what you can do with them. Um, and yeah. it's like just do, be doing a CDJ, not that that's bad. You can do really cool things on an MPC and a CDJ. But like, yeah, yeah if you're on a Moog or a Prophet 5 or a Jupiter 8, uh, there's nice. really- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. and I mean, I I understand that people, and especially record labels, need have a need to put you in a box, right? The record label, so that they can pr- uh, promote you. They they have their system, and 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 for people, you know, for for listeners to say, okay, and I I I understand what what this is. So I totally understand where where the need to do it, but you know, of course, I would prefer if they just listen to it. You know, but uh, you know that's what it is. So, what what do you think? The one thing I like to kind of get into is today seems to be like a playlist world, and yeah. I'm kind of an album oriented person. So I'm wondering from your style. I know the way we have to work is we end up having to put out a lot of singles and get them playlisted, and then maybe an EP, and then push an album. But it seems like the single was kind of king, like in the fifties. Um, right. What is that? What your thought is? Or do you still think of things in in terms of like albums, or do you work as individual 
songs and then put them out there and see where they they can go? Um, mostly, I think in albums. I like to think in the concept of a cluster of songs that belong together. There's a certain story or several themes going on. Like you're presenting a, a bigger package than just one song. Like story. It's like an album is like a story to me. Like what I love about music in albums. Because I'm a child yeah. of the '70s and I used to just listen to vinyl because that's all there was. Or, and now or, everybody does that again. Yeah, and it was like or an eight track. <laughs> and, oh, um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, my, my father Never had did a that. vinyl and an A-track. And, uh, you know, I listened to songs on the Key of Life on A-track. But, um, oh. but, but uh, yeah, the whole idea was with an album, what I liked about it on vinyl was, you know, I'm listening to like a James Brown record and I listen yeah. to the whole thing. Yeah. I don't really take the time to go up to it and skip around. Um, and yeah. I think that, that in, the, in back in the day when you, that, when you listen to it like a Pink Floyd The Wall, or I wish you were here right? and you just sat in the basement with your friends doing whatever. And, and it's like, you, you, it was an experience just to listen to the whole side, you know? Yeah. And they had put the songs in a certain order for you to get the story. Right. Yeah. And and at the, at that time deciding when do we need the break for, for the B side and you know, right. Mm -hmm. All of that. I used to listen to music like that. I had, you know, headphones and I would sit with the album cover and read the lyrics and all that. Like I think when things become digital and virtual and you don't have the, 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 you don't have the the lyric sheet, you don't have the liner Mm -hmm. notes, you don't have the art. Like it was so amazing in the seventies. I'm a child of the seventies. And when you picked up like a Led Zeppelin album and it's got the little, windows in it or it's got the little spinning wheel but it's like it was like a gimmick or whatever but it was really cool as a kid you pick up a record and it was an experience you know it was like you weren't just listening to it you were touching it you were reading it you were feeling it and then it really connected you to the artist i think you like if you're a fan of like yes or these bands you're like oh i'm totally into zep and i'm totally into into, you know aerosmith you were totally like you weren't just like one song I like from Aerosmith. Like, I like the whole thing. Right. You know, I'm going to go see the concert. Yeah. I'm going to watch the whole thing. And uh, it just seems, it seems like that's kind of getting lost today a little bit, that, that it's not that way. But, I think, I, I agree with you. It, it has gotten lost. I think the silver lining here is, um, as an independent artist, we have more, I have more freedom, right? To do that. Uh, to kind of do whatever I want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also my own producer, so hey. Uh, so that gives me the freedom to say, I like the concept of an album of songs belonging together, telling a story, deciding, you know, what order they should, you know, what's the flow of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that there seems to be, who knows, we'll see if that ever comes back to mainstream. That's a question. You know, we'll see what happens. It seems like hip hop artists are able to do concepts. Right. There's yeah. a lot of hip hop albums where a lot of the fans have listened to the beginning to the end. If you bring up like a guy like sure. Tyler DeCreed or a Brockhampton or a lot of right. the hip hop fans, they have albums that are meant to be heard from beginning to end. Right. There's their full concepts. And it seems like in hip hop, you know, back in the day, it was like the Who or Sticks or Pink Floyd would do that. But it seems like yeah. in rock, that's been lost and like pop music. That's not what happened. Like Madonna could get everybody to listen to the whole album, right? Duran right. Duran could get everybody to listen to the whole album, you know, Rio, you got to listen to the whole thing. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's harder to do that uh, today. I mean, there's some artists that are able to, to produce three, four singles and they can get you to do that. Um, yeah. That really kick and then you'll get the whole record, but it, it, it seems more rare. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess that change came around the Britney Spears thing when it was all about three minutes. Like if you can get your first single, if your first single is a hit, we'll put all the money into you. That's all that matters. Right. And then Mm -hmm. you're going to sell whatever comes from that a little bit back to the, I guess the Motown era and the fifties and sixties where you only put out singles. Right. Yeah. And eventually, yeah, they put them into a record, but they all kind of didn't were disjointed. (laughs) <laughs> right. It, it was it's basically a collection of singles, right? Yeah. At that point. 
Um, and, and I guess pop has kind of stayed there. Rock is a whole other can of worms yeah. that would take hours to discuss where that went. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful and positive about where independent musicians, like, you know, the vinyl is coming back. Uh, probably my yeah. next record I'm going to put out on vinyl uh, with the sleeve for you all, with all the lyrics on there and all that. And I, more and more artists are doing that. And so, yeah, I mean, most of the artists I've interviewed since 2018 are album focused. And I when oh, I bring right. this question up, most of the people that have been on my podcast have talked about like 100 artists since 2018. And they all are focused, you know, except me, there's some in between that weren't, but I would say the majority have right. brought out the fact that they did listen to things as albums. They do want to do it that way. And that's part yeah. of why they're doing their own production work. Right. Because a lot of the people I talk to, that's what they do. And it seems to be like that's, you know, in order to maintain that, you have to kind of control the reins because if you go into the industry the way it is, they don't want you to do that. <laughs> right. So, well, the, the music industry is set up in a different way for profit, right? Yeah. It, it, they don't think at least that it's profitable to do it that way anymore. That's why the major label system fell apart. So we'll, we'll see what happens, I guess. We'll just well, I think it's just encouraging. Yeah. I just, I just want yeah. like to, to hear that people are going that way and yeah. more and more bands, I think even because of what's going on in the world today, that I think people are, are, are taking a little more time and being a little more considerate about what they're writing about. Right. Yeah. And so they're telling stories. And if you tell a story, it's not going to fit in one three minute song, right? It will tend to fit in a collection of songs, right? Uh, which is like the standard songwriter tool book is like, you yeah. want to create a tapestry, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want to create like a blood on the tracks, you know, you want to create some significant work that has yeah. some kind of theme, you know, and that's what the past had. And, I think every songwriter is like, okay, well, I do have a collection of songs and they do go together. It might not be a concept, but it feels like they're connected. Right. Yeah. And I think that's like the goal of any great songwriter is like, I don't necessarily have to do Tommy or Quadrophenia, but I could do something like a tapestry or I could do something like, you know, any, anything that Bruce does, you know, it's not necessarily a concept album, but you know, it, it feels like. No, yeah, when Bruce does a record, there is some kind of theme, right? Yeah. It's slightly yeah. different. He's, he's talking about certain era or certain, you know, like that. So, yeah, it's not Tommy, but it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I I love the way he puts things together. I mean, it just, yeah. like Nebraska, to me, like I, I felt like that was a concept, even though it isn't, but it feels yeah. like it is. But, yeah. um, well, the, the songs belong together, right? Yeah, it just feels yeah. like he would decide to do this lo-fi thing. Which I yeah. think is really cool when people decide, you know, I can just take a task game and record everything there. You know, like I think PJ yeah. Harvey did something like that one time. She's just been putting out a bunch of demos lately. Yeah. And it's like her demos are better than some people's finished masters. <laughs> you know? Well, that says something about PJ Harvey, I think, how good she is. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's cool. You, know. you can get that, you know, somebody's yeah. first initial cut. But I do find, and I don't know, as a songwriter, I like to ask people this. Um, when you work on a song, do you feel like the first initial takes on it really get to the heart of what you're working on? And as you do more and more takes, you get away from what the original intent was? Sure. Yeah. It's always when it's new and fresh, it's um, there's this usually a little bit of magic there that kind of wears off as you do take 30, 34, 35 yeah. to, to get that line right. So I always record and keep the the original like raw, rough vocals that I do or, or whatever, you know, and then I try to kind of fix them oftentimes, you know, when, when something is off there or whatever, yeah. because the energy is, it's so fresh. Yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. I've heard that like a lot of bands, you know, I was watching stuff on Fleetwood Mac and Elton John, he was saying like, like the third, we took like nothing but third and second takes because yeah. the third and second takes were so much better than the 20th one. Yeah. That, oh, that's, yeah. that's what we took. And it's like, yeah, it's even if there's a mistake, you know, you go back in a lot of old records, you can hear the, the clipping, you can hear where they cut the tape, you can hear there's actually an error. 
Yeah. But so good, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, that's one of, sorry, that's one of the challenges I think today is when you record digitally, you, you don't just have eight tracks or 16. You have as many as you'd like, right? So <laughs> you don't have to compromise in that department at all. And you can keep recording. You know, I have my own studio. I can spend all day doing one take after another, right? Yeah. So being a little stressed, you know, pressed for time, being a little um, feeling like, okay, we need to get it done. That's not necessarily a bad feeling to have, you know, this better be the take, get a little bit of angst and passion in there, you know, rather than go, Oh, we can do 300 takes, you know? Yeah. I think there's something about like, I like live recording style. Just cause a lot of bands I was into, you know, like Hendrix and stuff and Clapton, you know, all my brothers, it was all kind of this like live tracking and they do tons and tons of versions, but it's like, yeah. It's like really, it's the it's the initial takes that always ended up being the ones. You know, you yeah. go back, you read the history of like Electric Ladyland, and Hendrix had tons of solos, and it's like the first three or four of the better ones than the last twenty. You know, yeah. just it's just you know, and they're all good. It's just that the it seems like sometimes you just have to take take a, be willing to have like what I call the happy accidents. And yeah. If you think, you know, also the thing of like if you try to track Keith Richards into a DAW. On the BPM, it's not going to work. Right? Yeah, I know. I always tell people, like, no, but isn't that cool? Like, yeah. maybe you should not try to track it that tight and try to be more like what Keith is doing, right? Yeah. Or more like what Keith Moon did. Because if you try to track Keith Moon, he didn't keep the beat. He soloed through the whole record, right? Yeah. So he's not like a traditional drummer. And I've always been like a Mitch Mitchell or Keith Moon. The idea that they're not perfect that they're kind yeah. of have accidents, the timing, there are timing issues, but yeah. it actually brings character to the mix. That sometimes having those timing issues, you got to like, let it go and say, well, yeah, that, that's not like Ringo. No, it, it's, it's not like Charlie Watts, but you know, but it actually is cool. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's one of the challenges. And I like this challenge is, so I work in logic. Right. Mm -hmm. And now you have all where you can actually import, let's say, a drum beat by Charlie Watts, you know, a couple of bars. He goes a little in and out of tempo. Right. And then the program will analyze it and give you that tempo pattern for what you program. Oh, cool. Yes. Right. And yeah, so it's like a groove thing. Right. And I've been playing around with that. And I'm not, it's not Charlie Watts, but for making electronic music, you can get that feel of a flow of a song with going a little bit in and out of tempo. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's pretty yeah, neat. That's cool. I mean, the way we do it with analog machines is I, I, I can have my LFO trigger my analog drum machine. So oh, okay. I'll have like an envelope or an LFO or an oscillator yeah. or a random voltage generator. Oh, and so okay. like I like to play by myself. I'm a one person band. So what I do is like to make my I have my 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 sense are members of the band. And I, if I take my analog sense and they're all running different clocks and then they're all running these weird LFOs, they can sound like like a fusion band because oh, they'll nice. kind of randomly do things, but it will be within the time, but they're maybe a little off time. And it gives yeah. you like like you know, like a sun raw. Like, like, you know, like, a, like, a, like, if you're into Davis or Coltrane, it gives you that kind of random feel, but it still has a beat, but it kind of feels right. more human. And that's, wow, that's, that's, neat. that's how I try to humanize it because analog machines can actually give you that kind of human feel. Yeah. They're not as digital and, and they can kind of go off. And that's what I, I kind of live in that world. <laughs> that's very neat. That's awesome. It's a different way of thinking. And it's like some people who, if I tried to collaborate with, they're like, that doesn't work on the grid. It's like, well, it's never going to work on the grid. Right. <laughs> it's not designed to it's work. It's not anymore. supposed to, right? Yeah. Supposed to. But, yeah. So if you're working with the ghost, like, yeah, it's not going to work. Nope. But um, yeah, but I've been trying to get into stuff. I just got into an Akai Force. So I'm trying to do, like, okay, fine. I'll try it. But I still yeah. wouldn't do it in a DAW. I do it, I'm doing it on a force. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, listen, it's whatever works for you. Yeah, I just, I I just like hardware. <laughs> That's my yeah. problem. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I so I, I work in logic, and you know, you kind of 
you're always as a producer and I'm sure you do this too. You kind of read up on the latest gear and I'm like, Oh, do I need this? Like, do, yeah, do yeah. I have to have all that? And I read this interview with William Orbit when he produced Madonna's Ray of Light. The guy worked on a Cubase and an Akai sampler. And yeah. he would record stuff like her vocals, but then cut them up, put them in the Akai sampler. So the entire record came like, out of the left and right of the Akai on a Cubase. That's interesting because like, like some, some hip hop guys use like Roland samplers like that. Like a yeah. lot of early hip hop is using like an SPC Roland that does like the yeah. same these Akais yeah. do. And yeah. it, it allows you to kind of kind of loose flow, you know, and I like that because they kind of is like to me, because I'm a guy who used to use a Tascam 8 tracker. And oh, then nice. I, would, I would just like, I would just manually play Moogs and Rollins into it. Yeah. And yeah. it maybe use like a chord sequencer. But yeah. still, I would, a lot of stuff was just manually played track by track yeah. into it. And, right. you know, using samplers, then you get tighter because you can yeah. quantize and you can unquantize to get things in a certain feel. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all technical, but I do have your song, which I wanted to have people hear you. Sure. So I'm gonna try to get that going again. So let me see, so we can we can actually show people what you sound like. Ah. So I got it up again. So make sure YouTube doesn't crash on me like it did last time. And let's try this again. So this is um, "Pop Your Heart Out." We're gonna play the whole thing this time. That was pop your heart out. So we get back to our main interview. So you're still here with me, right? I can hear you. I am. Yeah, I did did it right. <laughs> you did. Thank you. Um, but uh, yeah, what I like about that song is that it does break up. 
and and yeah. you do have the dancer. So maybe yeah. you can talk about the, how you produce the video and who the dancer is and the whole story about how, how you put that together. Oh, now you put me on the spot because I do not remember the name of the okay. dancer. But uh, I, uh, I've i done a couple of videos with um, this music director named Bryce Pravat um, and a New York, well, he's in New York now. And what happens when you make a music video is, you know, all the people who are involved, we get together and we drink way too much. And then we start spitballing ideas. And somebody came up with this really bright idea that we, there's this guy walking around New York City with his own disco ball, just hanging it up wherever and having his own dance party. Well, and I, yeah, I, I, and I wish I could take credit for that brilliant idea, but I didn't, I didn't come up with it. Anyway, so that, that was one of the drunken sessions that produced that idea. And to offset it, I wanted to have a live, live band feel. Mm -hmm. you know, so you had like a, with, like a live band, like 80s kind of video with like a real band playing. Yeah. You had that kind of new wave kind of element of like having like, like New Order or Joy Division, you know, you'd see them actually in the video playing. Uh, yeah. That was like yeah. the 80s was like a lot of the new wave bands. You'd see them like Echo and the Bunny Man, all these guys. They you would see them playing in the videos. Yeah. And yeah. they'd have maybe concepts too, but you'd also would see cut into the band actually, like the cure is actually playing. You know, yeah. the passion would be playing. Right. You know, and, and I, I come from that background. I am a live artist. I've Yeah, been, so you want to show that. Done that so so you know, it, it was a natural thing to show it. And then this is actually a remix. So you have these two guys called the Speckerfrecks, uh, <laughs> whom I, I know it's a wonderful name. I love it. And I had found a couple of their songs on somewhere on the internet and, and they were really into the glitch uh, oh, stuff, glitch but wave. doing it beautifully. I love their stuff. So I reached out to them and, and they were gracious enough to, so this is a remix of the, the original. And so they're in the video too. They're the two guys you know yeah well i like that really kind of glitchy kind of techno yeah. driving like like a prodigy kind of thing it's got a low nine inch yeah. nail. it's got the grit because yeah. that's the cool thing and like electronic music you can be very melodic you can be kind of you know happy chords yeah. or you can kind of come at it like trend Reznor or prodigy and actually slam like a punk rocker right like yeah. he had a little heavy metal a little death metal in it and just kind of have that kind of razor edge thing which yeah. i like to kind of put that in because you know part of electronic music is that you can you know simulate guitar type sounds or or, or try to be heavier and not just right. do beetle pretty chords or really nice you know classical type chords and it's nice to, to do that but i think it's cool to actually be a little more aggressive oh absolutely i mean going back to what the two music genres that i put together for my music, right? You want the, the pop rock song, the melodic stuff, but you want it to be hard hitting and big. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, like yeah, a that. ham and cheese sandwich, baby. Yeah, it's, it's always cool to have that heaviness. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of Zep and, you know, the groove bands. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, ACDC and like, oh, yeah, it's like there's always a place yeah. to kind of put that heaviness in. Yeah. You know, and, and that's like, you know, it's kind of what, what kind of, I like genre bending. Cause like you can, you can pull something in from funk. You can pull some jazz yeah. type of composition or some classical structure, yeah. you know, and a lot of times heavy metal is that, you you know, you see some of the heavy metals, a lot of classical type structures coming in in oh, terms yeah. of like the way the guitar players yeah. are solo. It's like a lot to do with that. But then there's like the heaviness of it is always kind of blues based. So you have yep. a little bit of blues heaviness and then some really, you know, virtuoso, classical type of scale mixing um but yeah it's just always cool to to see where you can take you know you know 808s 909 727 all kinds of weird drum machines lend drums or whatever and bring them in yeah and then kind of control everything and then make it get out of control <laughs> i think it's like the moment right. you know yeah. out of control is where the kind of punk nature thing i love punk aesthetic and um i yeah. think what i liked about joy division when they hit the scene was it's like the one of the first new wave bands? Unless you say, I would say like Brian Eno is really one of the first new waves with Bowie, but yeah. technically Joy Division is one of the first new wave bands like in '79. And you know, if you listen to Disorder, it's real guitar, 
but there's like this weird discordant synth in the back. It's right. doing all this weird stuff and it's not like anything else. And that's kind of like, it's that weirdness and it's off key. It's a little discordant. That's what kind of made them Joy Division compared to what New Order became, which was more broad. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that Joy Division, like a lot of bands ended up trying to create that with Depeche Mode and people take that kind of noise or that kind of punk aesthetic and try to put that in wherever you can to kind of fit it. Oh, absolutely. It's always cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the prod, I mean, going further, the prodigy definitely has that punk thing going for them mixed with who knows what, but it works. Love it. Yeah. It's like a death metal punk, like, you know, it's like rage against the machine kind of energy. Um, yeah. But it's got this heavy metal, death metal, you know, getting into like Metallica, you get into, you know, deep purple. Sure. There's a lot of bands that had that kind of edge and the heaviness and you kind of bring it in there but then you get a band like the clash like like to me it's like one of the best punk bands ever and just because yeah. they just went everywhere i mean they entered they did hip hop stuff they did african rhythms they did all kinds of cool stuff they did yeah. you know and but they had the first bands were like pure core hardcore punk you yeah. know and there's always a place for that because look what happened with kurt cobain you know yeah. he kind of brought back you know he did like an original clash type of record like one of the first, like, yeah, when he first did, like, never mind, sounds like, you know, something what the Clash would have done. Um, yeah. and, and it brought it back because, like, punk was like dead. And then it came back as <laughs> grunge. But, um, yeah, I think that need, we need another era of that kind of hardness, hard stuff. Cause, like, oh, kinda, we sure do. I always want, I'm looking for the next, like, you know, Nirvana. <laughs> Or it may come from well, a different direction, but you know, it's some, something like the Clash or Nirvana or the Sex Pistols or Ramones. Um, it'll or, come. Yeah, because I think people want to get out. Like, if, if a lot of people finally get out because of yeah. COVID, and you see some, you might see some bands break out that really have something to say and they can say it in a way that like makes people want to see them. Um, you know, I think so. I, I think you know, it seems like music c comes and goes in waves. Right. Yeah. The next wave is a, a reaction to the, the one that was just was right. Yeah. So if you have a huge pop wave, you're going to have something more aggressive, dark uh, on the yeah. next one. And then you're going to have a reaction to that. And it's, it's great to surf it and listen. Well, I think that's the, the so I wonder what do, have you worked with other people? Do you do like features? Do you like work with other producers or you primarily worked on your sound? Cause I know a lot of people today, it's like all kind of feature based. So like right. the, 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 the rappers that want to take something like the, a production that you're doing and Oh, I want that to be in my hip hop song or an EDM right. song a vocalist because they can't sing, but they need a vocalist. So have you had opportunities to kind of work cross genre like that? Um, yeah, quite, quite a bit actually. And, and it's something that I really enjoy. Um, I, so I, most of my records is me playing all the instruments and, you know, I do my own editing and producing and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I do, but especially when it comes to vocals, I enjoy using other voices other than just me. And then it, uh, you know, it's really genre hopping. I, I love some of the R&B gospel vocalists. It's, it's a sound that really works with what I'm doing to get those voices in there. Also some um, retro voices like the, think electro swing, like we're you know, like 30s, 40s kind of voices. Yeah. I mean, vocalists like that. And then also when it comes to the, the instrumental side, different guitar players right you get your funk guitar player in there i got a bon banjo player once i brought in yeah, um, but i treated was a nice yeah I, I i had this guy ian thomas love him i saw him play in a small club in new york he's like a bob dylan oh dylan dylan yeah yeah That's and always... he came over and uh, you know he's like i drink guinness beer and so i got him some guinness beer he came <laughs> over with his guitar and his harmonica and oh, wow. I just put up some beats and he just played and it was magical. And uh, the song Little Helper came from that. It's, that's him playing the acoustic and the harmonica on it. And it's a total like electronic pop song, but with Ian Thomas slash 
doing in there. I think that's really cool to kind of cross that because like, if you think about that Dylan sound when he was just on his harmonica and a guitar, that's a cool uh, thing. And if you, yeah. if you kind of merge that with like modern beats, that's yeah. it. Like you see that kind of going on today with country influenced hip hop. Yeah. There, oh, yeah. That, that there's like people thought, oh, wait, that couldn't work. And then it, it's working. Right. And so it's working it's great. Like, like fusion jazz based hip hop. There's a lot yeah. of, I really like it when you, like a, a rap artist will kind of just uh, do spoken word over like a, a fusion band. Like a fusion oh, yeah. jazz band in New York will actually sure. just play. And then it have them be like a poet, just reading poetry. And that always, you know, I always felt like Lou Reed and the Velvets, that's what that was. Because yeah. Lou Reed is a poet, and he's basically yeah. doing spoken word over this kind of early punk, punkish band, um, mm. doing kind of simplistic punk, but he's got the complexity of his storytelling being done yeah. in a Dylan-esque way. And I was like, well, that's always cool. And I always tell people, like, if they can't sing and they're trying to sing, it's like, do spoken word, like write a poem and then tell a story that means something to you and speak it out like Lou sure. Reed or like the way Nico did. And right. that can actually have a really good impact and it can sound good. You don't have to try to stretch your voice beyond what you can actually do. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, there's different things you can do. I mean, it's not going to be that song you were trying to do, but it might be a song that you should do. <laughs> No, I agree with you. I mean, go where it, it's hard because you oftentimes you, you know what you want to sound like, right? I mean, I want to sound like Whitney Houston. It's never going to happen, right? Yeah. yeah but so that. go where the song takes you, right? Yeah, yeah. Make it special. Make it you. Yeah. If you think about it, you think of like a Juliana Hatfield or a Liz Fair. They don't have Whitney Houston's voice, but for their work, their voice is the only voice you could ever use. Right. right? So exactly. you don't have to have perfect pitch. I mean, you know, a lot of artists uh, in that kind of genre is like, you know, they don't have to have that, but it's, it's what they say and how they say it. It's like Dylan, yeah. like Dylan, some people said, well, technically his voice is whatever, but I, I he has so many different voices from Nashville skyline yeah. to like, you know, blood on the tracks and the stuff he did with the band. Like he, yeah. When he first started, he sounded like Arlo Guthrie. He sounded like Woody Guthrie. Then yes, Woody. his other voice, and then the Nashville Skyline doesn't sound like anything else. And so no. he actually is a really he good singer, but you have to, like, well, he's not going to be Tony Bennett. <laughs> he's not no, but it, it, it's what he does. It's, it's, it works yeah. for within what he does, Bob Dylan, right? Yeah, yeah, it works for his material. So I think that's where you got to get to some people. It's like, well, I can't reach those Robert Plant notes. Yeah. Well, that do no. what you can do. What you can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. Yeah. I was like, I was early in the seventies. Everybody was trying to be like Robert Plant. Everybody's trying yeah. to be Roger Daltrey. And you know, it's like, like that. You're not going to be able to be those guys. Like, be who you are. Like you yeah. said, and then be the yeah. best version of you. And then that's kind of where I think bands like the Ramones and the Replacements and stuff they were willing to realize, okay, I this is I'm comfortable with who I am, and then yeah. I'm sing within that and then they really have something to say um you know even like michael stipe you think about that it's like you know you didn't even know what rem was saying in the first records <laughs> really <laughs> i didn't know that well if you listen to the first irs rem records it's like mumble yeah. rock you can't really uh, you don't really know right. what Stipe is saying but he sings yeah. these harmonies that are really interesting but yeah. you're like what is he really saying and you kind of imagined what he was saying he didn't yeah. really know. I mean, later when he got on Warner Brothers, you could they cleaned it up so you could actually hear what he said. Um, yeah. But a lot of people said, well, I like the IRS stuff because it's like I kind of imagined what he was saying and I didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> but but, um, but it's, you never know because people who your 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 audience sometimes thinks you said something that yeah. you didn't. Can people interpret the song the way they want to interpret it? <laughs> You know, but that's, I don't know. Have you ever had like a fan like tell you what they thought the lyrics were for your song and then they got it kind of wrong? <laughs> um, well, yeah, there's a line in, in Come On Y'all that's, um, they said, well, what's the throw up line? They said, I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, they're like, I really love the throw up line. I'm like, what? They go, well, the throw up like a pond. And I'm like, 
I think the line is blow up like a bomb, but they said it was like throw up like a pond. And I'm like, who does that? <laughs> well, that's weird. That's the kind of tells you like how people interpret. Like I had a philosophy yeah. teacher that would say like people kind of imagine what they want, right? Yes. So they hear something and they kind of kind of control it based on where their head's at. Yeah. And so like that's kind of music is very individual to the fan because yeah. they, they hear something and they kind of imagine their own mind picture and artists could have one picture that they did. And I think it's kind of cool, you know, when you don't have a video, sometimes people just kind of interpret your song, however it's going to be. Um, yeah. Cause it is kind of like the fans kind of you know, own your music once they got it. Um, and they, they, they think it is what it is, <laughs> but, um, I think that's the whole good thing about music is like people just take, you know, they hear what they, what they, how they see it, you know, and it's like a sound painting. I was always sure. into the idea that music is like sound paintings um, and that you can color it in any, any kind of way you want. And that's kind of like the art of what you do in the studio compared to what yeah. you do, do when you, cause they, you think of it, like when you're in the studio, do you feel like you have more, more tools, like a painter, like a sound painter than when you do something live, you're kind of you're limited to being able to do it in a certain way. Oh, when of you're course. In the studio, you can you can do all these things like George Martin Beatle tape loops and running things backwards and doing like uh, you know the wall of sound or whatever. You have a lot of choices, and and maybe it's the studio version is really supposed to be like that that kind of sound painting interpretation of your work, right. and the live version is like well, this is the actual real version life version. <laughs> right. No, of course. I mean, the studio to me is my playground. That's the laboratory, right? You go in and you, you create and, and you have all these like crazy machines and, and you, you try different things until the magic hopefully happens, right? Uh, live to me is trying to recreate that not too far from the original, right? Since I make electronic music, if I went out and I played with a, a a band, it, it would sound like pop or rock music, right? So I need a way to try and incorporate the, the beats or, or the sounds and the filters and stuff without making it too complicated. Mm -hmm. These days, there's enough technology to help you do that. You run a track, right? Yeah, yeah, you can run stuff. Different like stuff and get some guy who really knows what they're doing to mix, mix that in with it. But, but that's kind of the job for me live is to try and recreate it not too far from what it was when we recorded it, but with that live energy feel. So it yeah, doesn't maybe feel the like I'm playing might, the record, right? Yeah, like the guitars and the drums might be a little louder than what it was in, exactly. in, the, in the studio because you can yeah. take advantage of those dynamics yeah. that if you do have the live players, then that kind of, you can take advantage of that. Um, yeah. But I do, yeah, I mean, I, I what I do I mean, with a lot of my stuff is I use a lot of sequencers. And now, like I said, I got Nakai. And so I can run all my stuff like like it's Ableton Live, like running tracks. But I like to, like, not necessarily play it the way I wrote it. <laughs> Just because, ah. kind of like, I'm going to come over like a jazz guy. So if I do something, my, my thing is, like, I don't like to play my song the same way. I can if I want. If I really yeah. have an audience that wants to hear something the way I wrote it, I will yeah. do it. But okay. a lot of times I like to go out and actually purposely change it because then that makes it like unique for that performance. Um, yeah, that's amazing. So it's a, just a different way of thinking. And, and that's kind of like the reason I'm into music is because that's where I'm coming from. Like there's so many different versions of Hendrix doing stuff yeah. because that's what he would do. Or yeah. if you go listen to Jim Morrison and Doors, it's like they go out and they do the end like 10 different ways because yeah. that's the way they want to do it or the grateful dead they would kind of do it or all my brothers like they go do something but it's like not exactly the way they originally did it they kind of go off and i'm right. kind of in that kind of tradition is what i like but i do understand like today you can actually do your song the way you wrote it you can and the problem when you play live if if you, if you are using a sequencer right or, or you're running a track it's like you can't go off script it, it has to, you, you can play yeah, stuff a little differently, but it's still, if the ending is eight bars, the ending is eight bars, right? It's, you've got to stick with it. So you got to, the challenge is to find ways to make it as live feeling as, as possible, to get that live feel, but with the push 
of, of having the electronic sounds in there, right? Yeah, and it can be done. It's just yeah, I guess it's a balance because sometimes some people go a little too far, and it's yeah. exactly like the record. Yeah, and then if you go see a band, it's like. Is it like, do they just hit the tape button and they're playing it just like it was on the record? Yeah. Because I think a lot of bands, I, mean, I like, I'm a, I don't know, my child in the 70s. So I, you know, I love seeing Pearl Jam because every night you could go see Pearl Jam two nights in a row. Yeah. And Eddie will actually do the song differently. He'll pull out right. different lyrics. The band will play it different sections. They'll change it around. But you see, it's yeah. some modern rock bands, they'll play it exactly like the radio. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm not going to go see you two days in a row then. <laughs> You're right. But like, I'm a huge fan of Garbage, the band. And they use a lot of, you know, sequencers and, and they run stuff, on tracks in the background and all that. But they kick ass. And I could see them, you know, two days in a row. They would probably play the same set. But the energy, it, it's so live. And, and yeah, Shirley so they found a way to so amazing. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, and their sound is great. It's huge because they're able to use all these electronic um, yeah, know, things cool in the background. That, yeah, I think what's cool with the electronics is like there's a lot of stuff today that's like grid-based. Like I just got this yeah. grid-based one. And so you can change the order where the clips launch. So yeah. you can have all your clips, but you could be like, you could kind of DJ it. And the idea is yeah. I don't have to have clip four run with clip five, I can take four and do it with 16 and then take 32 and move, right. and move them around. And so in yeah. that way, if I did it that way and they're all in the same time or a little bit close time, I can actually still do a kind of like fusion based performance. Yeah. Though I have all my stuff there and I could just run it through the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Or I could actually mix it up. And if you, then that gives you some ability to have some, you know, control where all your parts are coming out, but they're actually coming out differently. Right. And then also like if what you, what, what you sing and play live, bring, if you bring the heart and soul, that is what gives you the live feel combined with the electronic. Right. So um, if you're able yeah, to a, yeah, bring it, that, yeah, you have yeah. to read the room. Like, so, you can take your emotions. That's why I think what's great about being a vocalist because that you are the instrument, right? Yeah. So you, you could read the room or you read your heart, right? And yeah. I think a lot of it, like with a great vocalist is, you know, the, the, the music could be the same, but how you deliver those vocals is really yeah. like your heart and soul. And you could do it because like you're feeling pain or you're feeling this or feeling that. And you that's how the performance differentiates itself, right? Right. Absolutely. You know, and, and you're going to have, you're going to sing a little off key. You're going to sing it a little differently. You're going to, like you said, read the room and, and that brings the heart and soul. Same as the guitar player. When he plays, he plays a little different. He feels it a little bit more over here, right? Tonight he's feeding off whatever goes on over there. And, and so I, I think electronic music has come a long way. And like I said, there, there's the, you know, you have the technical stuff to help you today to be able to bring the two uh, feelings together. So I was wondering, like, have you done a lot of like online, um, like festivals or because of like, I, what I've, the complaint I've had from musicians is like, if I do an online show, I can't read the room. Right. So I'm kind of reading to this like dead audience that I can't feel anything coming right. back. So I have no idea what if they're digging it and some people have a hard time performing if they can't get that instant feedback. So have you tried to do that? And if you have issues with the way online is today? I have not done online per performances. And actually, now that you describe it this way, that this is probably why I'm a huge reader of the room and the energy coming from the audience going through me, me feeding it back to them. Um, I imagine doing an, uh, you know, an internet kind of, or, or the, the streaming show, like you're performing in a TV studio or, or something, you know? Yeah. It's it's, like that. Yeah. Uh, so I prefer the live, the real yeah. thing. Can we started to one thing before we leave, we have been pushing, um, what's one thing is like, um, in, in January, I mean, July, we, we actually took a bunch of the guests, like 22 of our podcast guests, 
that we had on the show and we did 30 minute bedroom producer sets. So we set this as a peg bedroom producer festival. We did it from like July 16th through the 18th. We had 22 bands that we interviewed do kind of intimate, kind of unplugged. And some of them actually did what you said. I had one band in Australia, the safety word, they actually went to a soundstage and did a performance on a soundstage with lights and their full equipment. Um, They were kind of into it, but they didn't have an audience other than like the, the people with the cameras in the room. (laughs) Right. <laughs> the engineers and stuff, I guess they were giving them a little feedback, but um, right. most of the people were doing like unplugged or doing it in their home studio. Uh, and we're actually going to do it again in February from 11th to the 13th. So we always have an open invitation to anybody who's been on the program. If you're into that, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to read it the way it is. It's a bill. It's a chance to do like an intimate unplugged type of performance that maybe you wouldn't do live because it's kind of bare, uh, pared down. But yeah, we're, yeah. we're always giving people like the opportunity. If you want to be to participate, we are starting to book that out. For oh, February thank 11th. you. I'm, I'm, it sounds really fun. So let me think about if I can like do it the right way and, and bring it and uh, that could be fun. Yeah, we just like, so it's cool. Like if you, if you want to, we can try it and we, you can talk to me offline about how we set it up. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, we can send you a link of like to what it looked like before, but yeah, I think we're rounding up today. Cause we can only run like about an hour or a little about eight minutes over, but that's the way it goes with this show is like, sometimes like you, you, you don't know if you're going to be able to do the full hour and then you go over an hour. <laughs> See, we could do another hour and just keep chatting. <laughs> well, I think it's just really cool to, to, to talk to other musicians. I mean, that's why I did yeah. set this yeah. up because I think with the pandemic, you know, uh, eventually we wanted to be able to do this like in New York and, and right. um, actually have people come to a studio and, yeah. and be in the studio. Um, but right now we, we got to do it like this, which it's working because we get to talk to people all over the world. But um, yeah, we just appreciate that you're on the show. We want everybody again to check the link tree that's been streaming below here and check out all your work. Everybody should like check that out. Go to your YouTube channel, subscribe to it, you know, download, click like, if when you're with a musician, you know, following a musician, you know, you need to treat it like a YouTuber. Say you like it, subscribe, you know, tell other people about it, playlist it on Spotify, playlist it on, on Apple Podcasts. I'm a big, big promoter. Like if you like a musician, do everything you can as a fan to show that you like them. Please love me. Well, yeah, I think it's just, you know, coming from the back yeah. in the day in the 70s, we kind of did love people like that. You know, I think we should try to yeah. get that back. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, we will send you the other information as it starts to show up at other places. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to it. We always have people come back on. So the next project you have, if you have an album release, let us know and we will push that. I'd be happy to. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye.